keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts on ad-free shows and ATC. Hey, welcome to this week's uh, Wrestle Roast. Uh, I'm Mike Lawrence. I am here with Scott Chaplin. Hey. And Robert Karpolis. Hey. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I, I don't never, know either. You know, uh, it felt are, very like, but... present, and I haven't done that in so long, and I hated doing it then. So I just yeah, put my hand close. up. This yeah, you got me nervous, so, Mike. Immediately. This is a weird episode. You know, we are a we we, we are a man short, as was uh, discussed by uh, Dan himself last week, and um, we are uh, not roasting someone uh, today. We will be roasting Jake Roberts uh, next week, pending his existence. Uh, no, no, I think Jake gets a pass. You're still allowed to. There's no too soon with Jake. Jake, Snake Jake gets a pass if he passes, you know. It's <laughs> no, Jake, Jake outkicked his coverage in terms of, of living. He's he's one of those where non-wrestling fans are, it's like the Mandela effect. They're sure he died 20 years ago. So I think yeah. we're good. And when and when Hogan inevitably says it's because he wasn't vaxxed, we'll know it was a bajillion other things too. <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it amazing, uh, Detective Hogan? <laughs> Brother, someone's murdering Betty White and Sidney Portier. <laughs> I love it. Where, where was that? That was on a Facebook post, right? That was on a Facebook post about I knew it, man. Passing. You, you don't, you don't get things like that of, on Twitter. Of, uh, Bob Saget, who you actually uh, will have a segment about uh, later this week. Um, it's very tragic, the, the loss of, um, of Bob Saget um, to, to a lot of people especially in the comedy community I, I only met him once or twice but everything i've heard about him the, the guy was uh, fantastic and so of course hogan said something shitty um but he basically thinks that it was you know it had to and candace owens said it 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 is amazing when when if hulk hogan and candace owens have the same thought um it's not a good thought even if it united um uh, a black woman and an orange man it's still not a good thought wait mike mike what if they're both dressed as pirates while they do it though oh that's great man <laughs> put that put that as uh part one of a buy one get one free extravaganza baby i knew that was facebook because he there's something about facebook where it's people think they're on the couch and it's like everybody's a little wine drunk on facebook it feels it, like because he's old and racist. That's, that's yeah, where they Twitter, go. like they're not cool enough to be wine drunk. And so they're bitching, but they're aware of how far they can go with the bitching. But Facebook, they're like trash. And well, that was, what yeah, when, um, when Paige called Dan Lambert a Facebook profile, it's basically like, okay, boomer. Oh, yeah, that was a great line in uh, yeah. in, in that segment. Yeah, yeah, that was the great line. In that <laughs> yeah, segment. yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. We got we'll, we'll, we'll save dud or, or dud or dud later. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you jumped on all of our topics. You're like, Bob Saget's dead. This is great. He's, it's, he's at the top because we brought back, for those of you who don't know, this this week we're doing the 10 count. For those of you who listened during the total F and Marks days, uh, we, uh, we're, we're, we've put together a, a loose rubric of the 10 count, and uh, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, and we, we are actually doing um, an Elite Eight. Uh, not 10 count and the reason being my my problem with the 10 count was often there was always a segment or two that that you just did just to get to 10 leave new japan corner alone <laughs> he did it last <laughs> week um you know but like because i was like i'll talk about action figures no one wants to hear that so we we got eight topics today eight subjects uh, eight segments um and they're all great some of the ones we do every week some that we brought back just for uh, today, um, but we're starting with a new one, a brand new segment. A few people, i.e., Dan and Robert, have said that we don't talk about uh, current WWE enough um, because uh, we focus on wrestling we enjoy. So, uh, <laughs> what we decided to do was, uh, you know, Robert was like, I want to do a segment where I talk about. You know, modern WWE, because uh, I have to suffer through it. And that's like, you know, that's fair. So, um, and this was what a fitting fucking week to do this because we're calling this segment uh, Current Premium Events. And uh, this is Robert's segment. Uh, and uh, Robert, um, if ever there was a week to, to talk about modern WWE in a way that only you can there, there's been one or two people on facebook wanting you to talk about this um the the mlw wwe um legal happenings i don't really know what's going on um scott's dumber than me so he probably doesn't either uh robert can you explain first off what's happening and then uh what are your feelings on it? first off this is this is the universe coming to uh to bite me in the ass because I'm like, I want to do one segment talking about WWE. Maybe there'll be something positive. And then you like the world just open up like, Nope, fuck you. One of your old companies is going to sue one of your old companies. And you're going to have to sit and talk about it. So I'm going to give the caveat of to my knowledge, nothing involving this lawsuit has anything to do with anything that occurred during my tenure. And I'm not providing any sort of, insider information to anything that I saw, did, or worked on during my time in MLW. That is the legal caveat at the top. <laughs> By the uh, way, Robert said this in front of the MLW office buildings today in the suit. I like that you think that there's an MLW office building. <laughs> you mean Court Bauer's car? <laughs> yeah. Whatever, bus stop. <laughs> it's at, yes, it's it's his kitchen table where his kids are doing homework. That's the uh, the uh, headquarters now. By Basically, the way, he's not even head of the his own kitchen table. <laughs> he doesn't. His name is Court, but he certainly doesn't hold it. <laughs> Yeah, this one, um, this one was a little, a little confusing. So they are MLW uh, is alleging that uh, WWE has engaged in a few actions that uh, are are actionable from a legal standpoint and from a general common sense standpoint. You read this and go, of course, this is what WWE does. Uh, the the first is they're claiming uh, contract tampering, which is one of those claims across the board in wrestling that has always existed and wwe generally speaking the way that they approach talent 
is they don't directly approach talent. Because if you go to a talent who has a contract that's signed and they have a window of time that they are contracted to be somewhere, you can't say, hey, we're going to give you all this money. We're going to get you out of your deal. Don't worry about it. What they say is, hey, just wanted to say, huge fan of your work. We think, you know, I'm going to use an example of, let's say, uh, Wardlow. Hypothetically, not that WWE's interested in or anything, and they're talking to him through back channels. But hypothetically, Wardlow, they'd say, look, we think what you're doing is great in your company that you're doing, and we fully respect that you have a contract with them. Do everything you can when you're there. And when your contract's up, hey, maybe we'll talk while doing the money sign for, with the hands. The fingers mean the money. I mean, realistically, uh, what they would say to Warlow is, hey, we have a leather mask and no one to wear it anymore. Yes. <laughs> Look, Warlow, we're willing to take a short guy uh, and an indie darling. Would you be willing to? <laughs> it's going to be you and Gargano. We're going to make you twins. Um, yeah. And then the second piece is the antitrust uh, claim that they're filing under Section 2 of the Sherman Act. And everybody just fell asleep when I said that. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say, is Robert talking legalese? more boring than Scott enthusiastically talking about <laughs> Japanese wrestling. Well, yeah, it is, but here's, here's the gist of what they're claiming. They had, MLW is stating that they had two deals on the table. They had a deal with Tubi, which I believe is the same thing that was streaming the QT Marshall documentary. So we're really not talking about a high quality uh, streamer there. Tubi uh, was going to announce a deal with MLW. Uh, and then the night before it got pulled because Tubi is owned by Fox. And Fox airs a show on Friday nights that Mike and Scott have never heard of called SmackDown. And uh, it's watched by like 3 million people, but that's unimportant right now. It's it's on cable. That's just, it just means it's on in prison and everybody gets cable. Every it's network, you mean, dude. It's plays cable. No, network, it's that's cable. what I meant, the network. opposite. I don't know odds and evens either. Do you have you any idea how many, saying. yes, look, there's nothing prisoners love more than a Sami Zayn match. That's what gets them really excited. Dude, a running the, television will have that. Theories. It's bogus. Hey, it's not nothing, real. Nothing reminds you more that you are trapped in prison than the same Roman Reigns promo every week. <laughs> oh, man. They, they, half of them are like, are convinced Heyman's their lawyer, so it's fun. So yeah. that guy, that's the guy that's going to get me out. Um, and he, he would. So, yeah, so they're claiming that, that WWE supposedly, theoretically interfered and got Tubi to pull the deal back because they air SmackDown on Fox. And then uh, MLW was talking to Vice they had aired a special, a Fightland special, and that they were supposedly going to get a, a weekly show on Vice. And then, according to the legal claim, uh, WWE said that they would be, quote, pissed if this happened. I don't know if that's a legal standard or not, but uh, that was enough for them to say, WWE stepped in, they, they killed our TV deal, they killed our streaming deal, you've damaged our brand because now we can't air on tv we we can't air on a streaming service you're costing us money you're trying to steal our talent um which you know makes it sound like this is uh Vern Gagne is filing this lawsuit in 1985 but the the challenge with it's going to be legally speaking it's tough to, in my opinion it's very tough to prove unless you have some sort of smoking gun if you have an email you have a document you have somebody who's willing to testify and say Maybe i have told, or billy <laughs> yes, there, there's there's always that. If they if uh, if Madcap Moss made a joke about it and then they were able to play it on TV, um, the 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 long and the short of it is they they wanted to get the 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 press, the publicity, the coverage for it, and hope that other companies are now going to rise up and like a Les Misérables style thing. They're all carrying banners and they're going to be like. <laughs> 
you know, waving around like GCW's got their banner, and you know, it's it's uh, I'll, I don't even know a lame is song because right now in my mind, I'm thinking of the song from the South Park movie. Can He's you the, hear no. the people sing? Yeah, there we go. Hey, how many people watched MLW last week? <laughs> Two, four, six, oh, one. <laughs> Dude, I, I fucking, if there's two things I know from my childhood, it's fucking pro wrestling and Les Miz. I could overtake this podcast. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So why did you like Les Miz as a kid, though? Because my mom uh, and my stepdad would always listen to it. Like, they fucking loved it and would always play it on Sundays when we would clean, Um, you know. Bret Hart was master of the house show. (laughs) (laughs) Which I only know that song because of Seinfeld. Yeah. And and that's how I learned most of my culture references to other. If it was on The Simpsons or Seinfeld as a kid, that's how I learned that Vassar was a college I know uh, that's that's the beauty of it, and that's and as far as faster bashing young lady, and honestly, as far as Broadway was concerned, because one of the albums my parents listened to when I was a kid, my mom loved Starlight Express, which yeah. was a futuristic roller skating neon trom, and that's what I thought Broadway was. I thought Broadway was this badass thing where it's just like people on roller skates and neon, you know, head things like racing each other. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. And, and turns then I found out that Broadway is just what Ric Flair does for an hour, so he doesn't have to be with his kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's not nice. But to put a, a bow on, on this situation here, I think what they were hoping is other people are going to come out of the woodwork on this, and they're going to pile on, and it's going to make WWE look bad. The challenge for me with the monopolization argument is there's a company called All Elite Wrestling. Uh, Scott just got a heart on. Uh, they have a pretty good market share, and they're on cable, and WWE hasn't been able to suppress them. Um, if WWE specifically did these sort of insidious acts to, to block MLW, it's awful. It's unconscionable. It's also stupid on WWE's part because all due respect, we watched MLW stuff. I, I, I work there. I love it. They're not direct competition to WWE. If anything, they would probably be a feeder system to them. And no one's going to say, you know, I was going to go order WrestleMania. But instead, I'm going to go watch MLW's blank. Um, we, we watched an MLW uh, pay-per-view, and it was in direct competition for my desire to live. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was uh, It was Mike watching it with a noose around his neck, which is, uh, you know, how we all watch wrestling, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 Robert, it's either, I mean, this seems pretty stupid of them then, no? No, it's not, it's not stupid of them. It's them taking a swing because... They felt WWE was interfering and fucking with them. And, and do I think WWE was screwing with them? Absolutely. Do I think that it necessarily rose to the level of being actionable versus saying to someone advice, hey, don't air another wrestling show because we're not going to be happy about it. Now, WWE doesn't air anything on Vice, but wrestling is the reason most of us know that Vice is still a channel because of Dark Side of the Ring. And if WWE wasn't already pissed, about Dark Side of the Ring, which week after week keeps canceling most of the Hall of Fame, like this isn't going to be the make or break. Uh, going after a streaming service that's Oh, owned- that's the other thing that, where it's like WWE wouldn't, I mean, like like uh, that that other, what what is it called? Beyond the, Under the Ring? What the fuck is it called? The Dark Side of the Ring? Dark Side of the Ring. Thank you, Evan, who was on the show, listener, big fan. <laughs> Appreciate your support. No, where that's such an anti-WWE show. Yeah, so why would WWE want that wrestling. to be the only thing on there? It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't but make the any thing sense. is, Scott, is that if this gets on Vice and is seen nationally, 
it makes them seem like a strong national wrestling brand. Uh, MLW was on, and when I was there, and I can talk about this part, we were on BN Sports. BN Sports, if you're not in the United States, is as big or bigger than ESPN. They carry soccer, which apparently is popular uh, outside of here, and everybody watches BN Sports. In the United States, they don't have that big of a foothold. And then Comcast dropped BN Sports because they, they felt it was competing with NBC Sports. BN Sports sued for antitrust, so we were on BN Sports on all these homes, then you lose Comcast and you're out of like two thirds of the audience you were going to have. So a lot of stuff was snake bit. It seems more than circumstantial that the night before you're announcing a streaming deal, uh, it gets cut. But at the same time, if I'm WWE and I have a partnership with Fox and Fox is now going to be airing another wrestling company, I would probably be pissed as well. Did what they do rise to the level of being actionable? That's what they're going to have to prove. And that's what courts are going to be after. But what's going to be most important right now is most of the news outlets like Reuters and Sports Illustrated are writing about this. They're writing about MLW. They're getting publicity. You're getting yeah, eyes on it. What does that even mean anymore? In you the know, hopes that maybe you get an under... Right, but you hope that maybe now someone's going to be like, what is MLW? And they look it up and then they see what there is. And like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm going to start following this product. Whether that happens, most likely probably not. I think it's also not the greatest move in one regard in that WWE is very selective about who they work with. And when you do something like this, they will find a way to try to crush you. And that's, you know, where my fear is in this is that they may MLW may lose this lawsuit and then somehow some way in a non-actionable manner, uh, WWE is going to just gut MLW. Even if it's something as simple as saying, if you work for this company, we're not going to touch you. We're not going well, to that's what I was developmental say. or NXT or any isn't of this, that. Isn't this bad for MLW wrestlers because now WWE won't touch them, at least while this is happening? Yeah, but they have a short-term memory. You know, they, they would say now, yeah, we're not going to touch anybody from MLW. And then in six months or eight months, they may forget and they may go and sign somebody. Not to mention the fact that most of the MLW roster wound up in AEW. So Tony Khan's not going to suddenly put them on the ban list. If anything, it's going to be slightly more attractive to try to go take guys they know that WWE is not going to get. Well, my okay. So my thing about this, and and I really appreciate you explaining it in a very simple way, um, is that the the Tubi thing. What that just feels like to me was that Fox. It was like so small and beneath Fox that they didn't notice it, and had they, they would have been like, "Yeah, of course you can't do that." Yeah, and that's the other part of it. I feel like, yeah, if if you tried to pitch a TV show, uh, a wrestling show, to something else under the TNT TBS umbrella, which I think True TV is is part of their yeah their platform. If you went to True TV and said, "Hey, I've got this wrestling show," and they want to put it on, I'm sure Tony Khan's going to be pissed and call and say, "No, we're we're the 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 TV show for your media umbrella." Yeah, like it sucks that there's media monopolies and only like four actual companies but that's just one of the the things of it and then and then the the vice thing yeah it's like i'm sure they've tried to do stuff about dark side i mean but then it's also like jerry mcdivitt was on the fucking show (laughs) but is he no longer at all involved with wwe or is he like uh just he's uh, he's, the thing is well jerry was never an employee of wwe he was a partner at a firm and okay. that was just who Vince always used. There's in-house counsel at WWE, but an in-house counsel 
boy, I'm getting so fucking granular in my own life. An in-house counsel isn't necessarily going to be handling your outside litigation unless the company's big enough to have a litigation wing of their in-house. Primarily, your in-house attorney is handling your legal matters. When something rises to the level of a lawsuit, you're going to generally farm it out to outside counsel. And do you guys make it this complicated so you could fuck regular people out of money? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there was a whole, oh, there's a whole thing about when I, when I started law school, there was a push to get rid of legalese, which is basically the, the law world of WWE carny speak. Yeah. Also, why, like, don't just, why don't they just be honest and call it Hebrew? <laughs> exactly. Well, because then you'd have to read it from right to left. And, and, that's, and that's tough. And Jerry McDivitt's not Jewish, as much as that pains me to say. Yeah. Um, but Paul Heyman's father was a lawyer and, and uh, it was know. his hero. And that's Heyman's the one who told me to be a lawyer. So go fucking figure. Um, Did he really? Yeah. Uh, one of my last times at WWE, we went to the ECW arena for a WWE ECW show and I rode with Paul. And we were talking and I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to law school. I'm, I'm, I, I feel bad that I'm leaving WWE. And he said, you know, my father was my biggest hero in life. And if it wasn't for wrestling, I would have gone to law school. And what you're doing is the smartest thing. And he followed up with me after. And I, so for that reason alone, I always love Paul. Um, he followed up with you. He's like, I might need your help. I might need your Tommy assistance. Dreamer got my number again. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he's like, and just so you know, your son may borrow money off you one day to start his own company. <sighs> Paul, yes, Paul had no, had zero, and he admitted he had zero disregard for the law. He's like, I knew I had my father who'd write letters. That's why they always used licensed music. Because they're like, we're small enough where no one's really going to find us. And if Metallica does, we'll send them a, a letter from a lawyer. But what are the odds Metallica is going to go after somebody for illegally using their music? Yeah, and you want you want music so fun that people will bounce to it as much as his checks. Oh, that's right. he didn't have enough money to write checks. Um, <laughs> let's, let's it was a post-it on. note. Most of those guys tried to bring that to the bank. All right, let's move on to something more fun, which would be anything else. Um, we uh, segment two this week in wrestling. Another new segment. Uh, Robert brought this up, and I, I thought this was a great idea. Talk about something historically that happened this week in in wrestling uh years ago um and you know this so this week uh i think january 11th was the first week of monday night raw we're gonna talk about that on our patreon this weekend with our roast of uh tito ortiz um i we we should be joined by a guest but i don't want to just say that anymore because it always feels like a jinx but hopefully there will be someone else on that show with us roasting Tito Ortiz. Yeah, um, our, our guest roster is the uh, Springfield uh, softball team. Yeah, our guest roster is just MLW's roster after they sue WWE. Um, uh, and uh, but yeah, so it's a big, big week uh, in wrestling with Raw. But uh, Robert was like, you know, another another big thing happened this week thirty years ago um, in nineteen ninety two. And that was the Brutus the Barber Beefcake Barbershop Window segment, uh, where Shawn Michaels uh, turns on Marty Jannetty before Marty Jannetty would go on to turn on himself <laughs> for the next 30 years. <laughs> or turn on his daughter. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah, just turn on uh, over anything. <laughs> 
probably just turn on over the fact we mentioned his name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this was when uh, the heel turn of, of Shawn Michaels uh, going against uh, Janetti. And um, this is a fascinating segment. Um, one, because uh, Beefcake is basically Hogan's Janetti. <laughs> <laughs> and, and two, what's interesting, I always feel like there's like a, you know, a, a Mandela effect with this segment. Like I always, I always remembered it being uh, Michael's kicking him through the, the window, which is not what happens. He, he, he kicks him, he does his you know, sweet chin and then throws him through the window. And, and I do think the Mandela effect is that this completely ruined Janetti, but I think that Janetti would have had a tenured run in the company. The amount of times they hired this guy back, um, you know, and look, I have no experience with with coworkers who've been to rehab, so I don't know what that's like. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, no, the, the the whole thing here is like, I definitely feel like Sean came off like a star in this segment, but Janetti really was his own worst enemy, and because they really did try to push him after this, also. But, well, it's also like his outfit choice is terrible. Like everything and, about dude, and him talking, man, he yeah, is man, a really dude, bad look, they're, promo. They're, there's types of people, okay? There's someone who gets a tan and you go, oh, you went tanning. And then there's someone like Marty Jannetty who gets a tan and you go, did you fall asleep in the sun? <laughs> and Marty Jannetty has, did you fall asleep in the sun tan? And therefore he can't be a famous wrestler. It's just the truth. But there's also like a good chance that's the only way he can sleep. <laughs> what did Rob, Robert, uh, did, you, did you remember this segment growing up? And uh, what do you think about it now in hindsight? This was like peak my fandom around this window of time. And this was one of those moments that was burned into my brain uh, as being shocking uh, as a kid because WWF magazine was always building up like, is there trouble with the rockers? And this was the first major split that you saw from a babyface tag team in WWF in a very long time. And it was so startling because it, it was so violent for what was a very child-friendly show at this point in time this was saturday morning wwf this wasn't raw this wasn't attitude era this was still hogan world this was still you know this is a cartoon that's come to life and you see a guy get thrown through glass and he's bleeding and he's been you know attacked by this guy that's his brother uh you know in the wrestling sense of brother and it was one of those things where anytime i talk to a a a person who was a wrestling fan as a kid this is one of those moments. We're going to talk about another one of those moments next week. We talk about Jake Roberts of a, what the fuck did I just watch? I'm scarred for life, but you love remembering it uh, to the point where friends and I would talk about if somebody fucked you over, we'd say, oh, they barbershop windowed them. It just became a phrase that was a good shorthand. You understand. It's like, all right, somebody you trusted screwed you over. They threw you through the barbershop window and it's it's when in a world now where we do some of these roasts like the edge roast and i was going back and reading i forgot almost everything that happened with edge from like 2011 to 2021 without seeing it on the wikipedia it just didn't come to me off the top of my mind this is something that's still fresh in pretty much every wrestling fan's mind because it was so memorable and so impactful also edge was gone for nine of those years <laughs> <laughs> well that's that you know he came back a lot 
with his yeah. short hair. Like he he was like a, a a super senior who kept going back to high school. Yeah, it's kind of like the like, uh, general manager Foley in a way. Scott, Scott, what did you what did you think about this? And was this was this interesting as, as someone who knows what happens afterwards, but maybe has never seen uh, the birth of it? What what did you think of this? Well, so I, I've seen it before, and I'm a big Shawn Michaels fan. I I I I and again, it's a barbershop window. And I constantly forget that Brutus the Barber Beefcake is just in this segment, standing there, just this giant man. It, it doesn't match a barber shop at all. What his oh, uh, no, man. and, and, and it is like. in true beefcake fashion, close to greatness, but not <laughs> contributing any of it himself. Yeah, it's it's just really insane that he is present for the whole thing. And you go, wow, the, the way your memory works to to create an important this moment. Is, this you is know? like we built a new face beefcake like literally like this was a year after his new actual like face oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's frankenstein it's frankenstein barbie yeah but yeah i mean dude i i love michaels in this segment uh the throwing through the glass does seem legit and cool and i think it's very funny they have the other angle from outside the window that they that the air uh it, it's it was great works, that they man. just it's randomly just had a camera set up on the other side of the window <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, yeah. pure coincidence I, you know I, I i like the just the the simplicity of like hey you know in this magazine like they're saying that you know there's tension between you guys people are talking about it it's like i i prefer that over some like weird invented reason um just off of like one night uh i don't know yeah it was cool and what's interesting too is that um, I don't think Pritchard was here for this because you know, like I, I was a really devoted uh, something to wrestle fan the first couple of years, and I know that like for like Rumble '92 they did like a bonus episode because he wasn't there for that. There was like a year, a year and a half where he wasn't there in the early '90s, and and he'll always be like, I wasn't there, and it's like, and he often says it about like the best shit. <laughs> <laughs> like like the the flare rumble win or or this moment or yeah the, i mean i'll just i'll just tease yeah what we're talking about next week is uh the tuesday in texas uh jake stuff um and it, it is fascinating because do you feel like like this feels like a proto attitude era in some ways like and i and i think like and it doesn't feel faux edgy like some of this like this and the jake stuff feels like it is it is way darker than the other shit that you're used to seeing on the show. Do you think Vince was just wanting to go that way or just like felt like, well, if it works for this angle, we'll do it? Yeah, I mean, we'll consider what Piper hitting Snooka in the head with the with the coconut, right? Yeah. That, that's very similar to this in, in like, holy shit, this is happening and the set falling over as Snooka collapses. Uh, so they were doing it. It just seems like something they pulled out less often, and so it felt special. They saved it, it for shocking. We, oh, sorry, go on. So they saved it for a shocking moment because throwing somebody through glass. Granted, this is pre CW, and now it's like you see this all the time. Guys with the windows, like you didn't see that, and you knew if somebody goes through glass, like you're going to be all cut up. There's shards. You don't realize it's it's gimmicked and all that because you're you're invested in the moment, and I, it 
I, I look at what happened on Raw this week. I I know you guys didn't watch it, but they split up Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley. Oh, no, I saw that. Yeah, I saw and that. it was so flat and so like just there was no air in this segment and it was completely forgettable. And you see what they were able to do 30 years ago and they can't learn how to make something work now. It's kind of mind blowing. Well, I think well, the also- difference is people cared about them as a tag team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, too, to to Scott's point, that you had them around so long. And, you know, it's like, I mean, also, I just thought of the Snooker thing. When when Piper did that, do you think, like, Nancy Argentino's, like, family called and they were like, thank you? (laughs) But uh, but also... They wanted to get the coconut uh, for DNA evidence. (laughs) (laughs) The only way they're getting a blood sample. (laughs) Oh man, but no, but what's interesting too is that, like, yeah, they, they're so quick now. Like, the formula is to get a team together just so you can break them up so it doesn't mean much. Or, like, because I'm trying to think of like what are some more modern equivalents, even if they're like 15 years old. And it's like you look at like the Dudleys, right? And it's like one just became a preacher and the other became more confident in wearing shorts like it, it was like you know like they didn't have like a breakup like well, the breakup I, I you're like gonna every... get the breakup you're gonna get is gonna be rk bro and the only reason why that i'm excited for is the audience is actually invested in orton and riddle as a team because it's the only fun part of raw so when that split finally does happen i think the crowd is going to care and the crowd at this point, the Rockers were on a losing streak. Like it was clear what was going to happen, um, but it was still upsetting to see because you actually believed in these guys and hope, hey, they can turn it around. And they were the WWF's Rock and Roll Express, and and they appealed to a younger crowd. Uh, but at the same time, you watch it and you're like, I can't wait to see what Sean does because he's so much more interesting now that he's gotten rid of, uh, you know, the, the his demon. Who's full of demons? Uh, yeah, it's it, and it's interesting because they did the follow through of then he wrestles, you know, Tito Saint. I'm sorry, El Matador, uh, <laughs> two different guys at, at, at WrestleMania eight that year. And uh, I, I guess, I guess, if I had to think of like a modern, yeah, a modern equivalent of like a fun tag team uh, explosion like this, and I'm sure I'm blanking on examples, but. And, and it was two guys thrown together, but I think the Jericho Owens thing of, well, why is my name on this list? Yeah. <laughs> was yeah, great. It was great. It was awesome. Because I, I do feel like this is the gold standard that most of them are compared to. Um, all right. Sure. Next segment. Uh, we uh, got some Patreon uh, listener questions and some Facebook listener questions. Um, and we've only gone through some of these. So I figured, you know, uh, every once in a while, let's go through one on the main show. And so this week, uh, we uh, are going to answer a question from um, the guy's name is Dan Darragon, I think. Uh, If you could create a gimmick like the 24-7 hardcore title, what would it be and what stipulation would you uh, be required? But what stipulation would be required to win it? Um, I was going to say interim TNT title. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the stipulation would just be not have COVID. Uh, Robert. 
by the way, Dan Darragon's my favorite dinosaur. So uh, this is big for me. Um, <laughs> it's it's tough. I think the only thing that I think would be an interesting title and would be fun for heels is a champion's advantage title where when you're the champion you're you you the rules don't apply to you so you're able to wrestle a no dq you're able to wrestle a hardcore match but the guy you're wrestling can't so you have that extra advantage of you can wrestle him or you can use weapons or or you know chairs or whatever that may be and it makes it tougher to beat that guy and i think that's something fun where a heel can hide behind it and baby faces don't necessarily need to use that stipulation, but it's there just in case, because they always talk about champions advantage. You can't lose by counter. You can't lose by disqualification. Then, then fuck it. You get to wrestle a hardcore match and your opponent can't. And that becomes kind of uh, Hey, let's see, you know, how you can, how somebody can overcome and, and solve that. Uh, short of that, you can do a, a, a title where the winner gets health insurance, but only while they're champion. <laughs> Scott, that sounds like a compromise that the wrestlers would agree to. <laughs> Scott, what would be your answer? Uh, I, I want to see a championship. It's like a drinker's championship where you have to be a, a certain like alcohol point level to even be in the match. Like It's like a weigh-in before, but you have to be a certain level of intoxicated to fight. I think there... You know, uh, unless you are beyond drunk to fight, there there is a really uh, amazing thing that happens to a drunk person that 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 shows like a fierceness and a tenacity and a willingness to not lose and 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 you know to to to, to face adversity and to not necessarily feel pain. And I think that level of drunk is really cool to see. I mean, at least in movies, I think we don't realize that most of our favorite heroes through history, when they did something brave, they were drunk while they did it. Uh, no, we've watched John Moxley. He, he, there we go. I think, and, and and kind of like his fighting style. I think there's a style of fighting uh, that comes with being drunk that is actually like historically not looked at and respected. And also, this would make me a third generation superstar. This is, by the way, the answer to this question is just proof that Scott didn't watch wrestling till the 2000s. <laughs> also, why why do you hate CM Punk? <laughs> well no it's just not a title for him you know he could mock it you're just explaining all of wrestling like a, until like a few years ago well listen i was gonna do a little people's championship because i thought i think that's a legitimate thing that they should have and and i always well adam cole is already the little, number one contender so <laughs> when, i always enjoyed when they had little people on the show but that's not like a stipulate you know it's not like and then the winner whatever you know like yeah. i didn't that's so a division, not started, really a championship. So wrestlers started drinking less because they were sick of digging von Eric graves. <laughs> it's it's like it's kind of like a Popeye match, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like both guys eat, eat their spinach and then you see them really go at it in a way that you don't necessarily see. Uh, well, then if you want to make it that case, then the champions are the one that can do steroids. Oh man, I also feel mm -hmm. like. Now oh, is that too to touchy for you, Scott? Oh, no, I have to watch like, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Your wish came true, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I, I got the guy's name wrong. It's Danny uh, Dagorn, although that was a, a good dinosaur joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> now we're going to move on to uh, Tales from the Indies. Yeah, I'm not good with segues, guys. And, and look, like, just being honest, yeah. Is the show going to be as good without Dan? No, because the show is the four of us. So we're trying. We're getting through it. Uh, I'm a stepdad. I'm Carrie Elwes and Liar Liar. 
Yeah, Dan's uh, doing fine though. I got a text from him the other day. It said uh, the dogs are in the garage, so he seems to be good. Jesus, Christ. that could also be a million things. That, that also just sounds like a Stone Temple pilot lyric. <laughs> yeah, and the dogs are in the garage. <laughs> um okay uh so uh segment four uh we, we're bringing this one back this is a classic tales from the indies uh i hinted at this a little bit scott what are we covering this week on tales from the indies well so this week tales from the indies is a, is a little different usually we show like a 45 second clip of a guy getting you know stabbed in the head or something with a sword or whatever but uh but uh, this week, it's actually an episode of Bob Saget's Strange Days, which was a show on A&D. And uh, this aired in December of 2010. You could find it on YouTube. Uh, just type in Bob Saget's Strange Days, uh, New Omega Wrestling. And he goes through wrestling. Uh, he goes through a backyard wrestling uh, event for what? They, it, that covers for about nine minutes of the episode. Then he goes yeah, to see like a in East show. L.A. What did you say? Yeah, this is like a three-act show. Yeah, um, three-act show, and he goes to different leagues yeah. of wrestling. That's how it's, they're it's kind of backyard wrestling. It. Then it's um, lucha libre wrestling, and the second, and then it's all in L.A. And then the third act is Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate USA. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is the same structure as the Arquette documentary. Now that I think about it, where he was doing backyard wrestling, then he did lucha, then he was at a uh, a high-level indie show, um, but. It works for it works for uh, the wrestling world. Yeah, but it but this is a guy smart enough not to be in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I mean, Bob Saget passed away this week. I knew this tape existed, and so I figured we'd watch it. I know. Do you want to first, like, I, Mike? I mean, did you say anything about Bob Saget yet? Did we acknowledge it? Uh, we I did a remember. little bit. I mean, you know, uh, I. I knew him like I mean obviously I I've known of him since I was a kid man I uh I, yeah this death this death hit me um I mean it's also it's fucking we lost Norm now we lost Bob Saget Dirty Work is one of my favorite movies um someone do a prayer pal. circle around Artie Lang yeah the 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 Jake of comedy <laughs> seriously <laughs> um and and yeah it's 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 fascinating. Because you're seeing, it's interesting. A lot of times when when, when comics pass away, uh, other comics are very fucking honest, and you know, and the same thing happens with wrestling, where if they had some kind of fucking gripe, they just let it out. Um, and you really, uh, for the most part, have only uh, heard very sweet, sincere things. A lot of people. This is one of the first passings where people are just posting the text messages that. Um, Bob Saget sent of just like, hey, how are you? I love you. Just he seemed like a great guy. I mean, dude, I fucking love Full House growing up. My dad left San Francisco for Florida, um, and, which he's very sad about for obvious reasons. And he would always watch Full House just for the interstitials. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just for the B-roll of the, Brooklyn, of the Golden Gate Bridge and shit. Um, so, yeah, I grew up on Saget, America's Funny Some Videos. And I actually felt, yeah, watching this, I guess look at my thoughts. Um, I thought it was a really like a sweet way to remember the guy because the way that he approaches, I think this show was just him, you know, kind of like showing you different like lifestyles and stuff. And so he's showing you about wrestling, 
And I feel like you get to know who he was as a guy in many ways through this episode where he does kind of come into wrestling, you know, with that condescending kind of, you know, this is fake, blah, blah, blah. But he does walk away with the genuine respect. He does like showcase these uh, wrestlers in a positive way. But also he never stops being funny. Like there's genuine like laugh out loud moments in this through just his like narration and stuff. Cause it has kind of like a, you know, a Bourdain type delivery, right? It's like a travel log where, you know, you're just seeing people and he's doing like a, a video essay kind of thing. And um, yeah, I thought it was a great way to celebrate the guy uh, because, you know, yeah, you see him at uh, Dragon Gate and someone yells out, Full House sucks. And he immediately goes back, Yeah, but not as much as your mom or something. <laughs> and then and, takes a bow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, hey, John Moxley comes out. Which yeah, is, fucking which Moxley is comes out. Moxley cuts a promo on Saget. On Again, Bob this is Saget. 2010. So, yeah. And, but it, it just, yeah, man, it, <laughs> it, it was like kind of sweet because, yeah, at the end, he's like, yeah, these people are fucking crazy, you know, because he really does see like the backyard wrestling of it where there's nobody. And and as a comic, you know, the whole time he's talking about the amount of people in the crowd, which is what comedians do. Any comic you hang around, they're obsessed with how many fucking every empty seat is a fuck you that they can't stop hearing in their head. And he's obsessed with it. And, and I love that because he's just being himself around these guys. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, obviously, RIP to the guy. And I, and I thought that this was, uh, you know, seeing somebody walk into a world that you love and respect so much that they don't know that much about. And then also leaving it with love and respect uh, was really cool. So I, I really uh, I really loved this uh, episode and I, and I would recommend people watch it. Uh, Scott, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I mean, aside from what you said, I think also the, the comic in him really recognized the, the, the struggle yeah. In wrestling and and my favorite part was after he left the backyard wrestling show he's in his uh van with you know producers or whatever the hell and camera guys and he's talking to them and he's just like they really they treat i even wrote it down he goes they treat it like they're at a big event and then he goes they play the yard and the way he said it was like he said it with so much respect like they play the yard like they, they are doing their job they believe it and in this circumstance they're knocking it out of the park. The people there are enjoying it. They're playing the yard. And each act of these like three, you know, wrestling scenarios, it always does end with a really sweet moment. Even like the luchadors at the end and uh, of their segment and, and how it's about family and they're all hugging each other. And it's like, it's so absurd, but it's so sweet. And as wrestling fans, you like catch that immediately because what he discovers throughout the episode is just the reason we like wrestling, you know, which is just like, you know, carny soap opera shit. Yeah. Robert, what'd you think of this? It was, it was, I, I enjoyed it. I think first to, to just to piggyback on what you were saying about Saget as a comedian, Saget was somebody, obviously I grew up with watching full house and, and America's Funniest Home videos and was one of the most jarring juxtapositions of learning who the actual person was compared to the persona. I put Bob Saget and Joe Pesci in the same pedestal where it's like, I loved Full House and Home Alone. And then when I see everything else they did, I was like, you left me alone with these people like as, <laughs> as entertainment. But 
there was always a sweetness with with Saget. There was a great story. Uh, Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother wrote about how when somebody dies, you usually feel like I wish there was something we had said. So that was never the case with Saget. He always said how much he loved you and how much he enjoyed you know having you. Like there was never a moment of restraint where something wasn't said. And he said there there was this feeling of closure when he passed of I didn't feel like I wish I would have had one more chance to say something to him and I, I think that's a good life lesson in general the, the three seconds of wholesomeness you're going to get out of me all show is you know definitely embrace that I think that was really nice and that seems to be the recurring theme and also the strange picture of Bob Saget with Norman Lear I didn't realize they were close friends that was very uh surprising considering what you think of a Norman Lear sitcom and then you think of the full house. There's are sort of two ends of the spectrum. Um, this, uh, this show was, was fun. I, I was a little worried that he was going to go too hard on making fun of wrestling and, and belittling it. But there was a really nice moment where he's talking with Roddy Piper. Piper is about to do a, uh, a, a speech to the dragon gate crew. And you can recognize some of the guys like Ricardo Rodriguez is there and Eric Watts, uh, not that Eric Watts, the Eric Watts is there. And Piper's and Sagger talk about yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, good, the good one, the non-nepotism one. Yeah, the one uh, that earned his way. <laughs> yeah. And they're talking about how comedians and pro wrestlers are are cut from the same cloth and you're both on the road. And it's all about feeling the energy of a moment. And Saget seemed genuinely like in it with Piper at that moment. It didn't feel like it was placating. It felt like there was this moment of respect and bonding of like, I get your world and you get my world. And I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, I you know I I I'd kind of forgotten that, but that probably was the best moment, and it was really sweet. And then it just fucking hits you that both these guys passed in their mid sixties, and like that they're both gone now. And, and 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 it's fascinating. It's like when you watch Bob Saget and Roddy Piper, and and I realize like the, both these guys equally shaped my childhood in completely different ways. Like I wouldn't be who I am without the combination of these dudes and, 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 and that, uh, and what was great about both of them, like, I think in their worlds is that, you know, they were just workers. It's like, yeah, Piper was known as like the worst fucking heel on screen, but you know, he's the guy who was fighting for unions backstage and from all, you know, accounts and purposes was a really sweet guy. He's a dude I met once or twice at the comedy store and he couldn't have been like fucking nicer. And then, you know, Saga, it's, it's funny with full house where it's like, yeah, people were always shocked by that as a kid. Like, you know, he's actually filthy, but it's like, yeah, Full House was just a gig. And and it's funny because, you know, as yeah, as, as a comic, as someone in show business, like you just get different scripts and everything and you're like, Full House? And then it ends up being eight years of your fucking life. <laughs> Which you probably could have never imagined. <laughs> but it was a world before there was social media and anything like that. So the yeah. only way someone knew who you were was what they saw on TV and you were the, the wholesome, nice family man. But then to do that and America's funniest home videos where he was funny, but it was very, you know, rated G kind of humor. Yeah. And then you see what he does and it's like, Oh, or like seeing him in the aristocrats and you're just like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, and it's like, it's interesting because he had to keep kayfabe in a way back then where yes. he had to come off like the family guy. And it's like, you know, it's like when you watch wrestling, and you know the jobber sometimes could like 
legit fuck up any of the main stars that you like. You know, it's like you watch like DiBiase and Ultimate Warrior, and, and you know, DiBiase is obviously not a jobber, but I'm just saying, like physically, you're like, well, Warrior would easily beat him up, and it's like you're like Regal and Goldberg, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Even like Pee Wee Herman, you know, where it's like, <clears throat> uh, that was a uh, never mind. Anyway. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised that guy was weird. <laughs> no, I just don't think that's yeah, a weird I, thing is what I'm, I'm what I'm actually no, I, saying is like the reason Paul Rubens, that's his name, correct, got so much shit was because he was Pee Wee Herman, where yeah. it's like the actual offense is like, oh, go fuck yourself. That's who wouldn't be jerking off in a porn theater. Yeah, that's like right. playing golf at a golf course. Yeah, it, it just seems absurd to me. It's, well, it's uh, like Fred Willer got caught doing that a couple years ago and he just played it off as a joke. And nobody cared. And that was the yes, end. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. He's like, I'm an old man. I was like, this is this is what we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to use my computer. My grandkids aren't here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm supporting yeah. a local business. Yeah, I'm 78 and I'm not doing this in front of an intern. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of jerking off, uh, <laughs> last night's AW Dynamite. <laughs> uh, it's time for Dynamite or Dud. Uh, so let's go through this um, hour by hour. Uh, you know, much like in Dan fashion, I would try my best, but may forget a thing or or two, and you guys can, um, you know, fill in the blanks. Uh, but you know, we open with. Um, Adam Cole, um, Boom. Bobby Fish, and uh, Doofy from Scary Movie. I mean, uh, <laughs> <Colorado>. <laughs> and then uh, you know, um, and then the Young Bucks come out, and and then Britt Baker comes out because uh, there's the whole thing with the, the best friends and and Britt uh, in, in a really fun moment. Uh, the Bucks were about to kiss Adam Cole, and then Britt's like. No, I do that. And so she kisses him. Then uh, we had uh, Wardlow versus CM Punk um, with MJF out there continuing this feud. Uh, I mean, we're now we're just going over the, we'll, we'll give our thoughts in a sec. Um, then um, we had, uh, you were like, you know what? I, I want to see a big guy get beaten uh, in a fluke win. <laughs> Well, here it is again, Powerhouse Hobbs and Dante Martin. And then uh, to, to end the hour, um, and I'm sure there was like, a, a you know, quick promos here and there uh, throughout. So like, if you want to talk about those, feel free to. Then we, uh, we end the hour with Adam Hangman Page with all the momentum in the world as the new champion who has just defeated the American Dragon. And then Dan fucking Lambert <laughs> comes out and is mad at him because of geography because people from the east coast shouldn't call themselves cowboys only people from texas and oklahoma should um that is literally what he's upset about and then um fucking mike don't uh, act like that's not a reason people get upset people get more upset about little things like that than important things yeah, it's true, and especially someone like Dan Lambert. It makes sense. I and guess. then Lance comes out. You know, he's from Texas. It's yeah, fun. yeah. And then it's Lance fun. Archer comes comes out with the same haircut your mom has after the divorce, uh, <laughs> and 
a face puffier than Seinfeld's shirt <laughs> <laughs> on the Today Show. Um, dude, this was, yeah, man. Uh, and he beats him up, and you immediately uh, realize, well, they can't all be feuds with Brian Danielson. Um, what, uh, Robert, what did you think of this uh, first hour of the show? All right. Um, I'm going to be positive. Just to, to try. I liked the kiss moment. I didn't love the fact that they they called out the best friends or kind of or they talked shit about the best friends. The best friends went out there and then they all just got their asses kicked. Like that was just kind of, hey, we're here. And then we all got beat up. So if this is the end of that feud. Awesome, because I never need to see it again. But we're not. We're getting a mixed tag match. I do like that. This seems like the first time ever where they've mixed the, the women's division in with the main show. And it felt like, hey, we're all on the same, that we're all on the same show. I, it's like Chris Statlander is going to be there and Britt Baker, you do a mixed tag match. I like that. I like when you combine it as opposed to most of the women's stuff, which feels like it's siloed and it's its own 930 universe uh, that they just like teleport to. Because uh, there's love- a women's match on the show and it is, I mean, it's more an angle than a match, but it's two minutes long. So it was yes, nice. <laughs> it feels like it's taking your vitamins sometimes and they have to put these women matches on. They're like, all right, we have to do this. We got the check mark. I loved the symphony package they did for Wardlow. This was a real step up production wise. The, the inner splicing, the orchestra at the same time of Wardlow delivering the power bombs was amazing. The Wardlow punk match was confusing in a lot of ways because Wardlow just basically had punk dead to rights and then you don't get the finish but I like the 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 actual finish of the match was an homage to Diesel and Brett and when they did it I saw I was like I know this that's awesome and then there's something online where they put two the two clips next to each other and it's beat for beat second by second Uh, I've always said I think Wardlow's a huge star that dude is awesome and then it was so weird. They went right to Hobbs and Dante Martin after like, I'm begging. This is why I get so frustrated with AEW where you could have moved this into another segment of the show and it would have been more effective instead of doing basically the same match twice in a row of big monster versus small guy who's nimble and agile. And then Jay lethal showed up for some reason. Um, neat. Uh, there was a, uh, there was an inner circle thing they did a lot about the pwi which i like that they cared about winning pwi awards it's kind of fun that they acknowledge uh wrestling publications like that uh, yeah it is fun because if it's like if wrestling is fake then acknowledge the fake awards about yeah, you exactly too, you know? aw the advantage aw has is they can talk about the broader world of wrestling that exists in their world ring of honor exists and impact exists and and wwe exists in WWE, nothing exists. And I guess as a kid growing up as a comic book fan, Marvel didn't talk about DC. DC didn't talk about Marvel. And it just made sense to me. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. AEW doesn't have to play by those rules. That's kind of interesting. MJF came out to cut a promo where you knew it was building a punk versus Spears. It feels like this, this whole feud lost a little bit of the steam that they had built up before because now the audience is more invested in the Wardlow turn than I think that they are with seeing Punk and, and uh, MJF, because I think there's more emotion involved in, in seeing Wardlow finally break free. Uh, the Hangman thing, I, I, I don't mind Dan Lambert as much as I used to. I think I'm just sort of used to the lowered expectations. The Village People reference made this feel like I was watching Raw. Uh, that felt like this was playing to Vince and he was happy. Um, strange that Lambert brought up, don't you know besmirch the legacy of Dick Murdoch, 
known Klansman. Um, and then the weird, and because that I true? watched, is that true? Yes. yes, yeah, oh yeah, I, <laughs> no. I, 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 he I used could... to he used to hand his card to people, and it was like the like I am in the clan card, yeah. So and oh, and shit. even weirder was as when I was on the writing team, Dusty was telling a story about because I was there with with uh, with Alex Greenfield. Happy birthday, Alex! By the way, it was his birthday this week. Uh, and Dusty's just casually telling a story of like he was with some girl. They were in the back seat of a pickup truck, and they like fell asleep, and they woke up, and they were parked at a Klan rally. That was what Dick Murdoch had driven them to a. And is he's telling this is the most casual story in the world. And we're just all sitting there like, what the fuck world was this that they lived in? The thing that's weird is I watched Rampage and Battle of the Belts. I talked about it for the Patreon, if you haven't listened this week, Patreon. And they were setting up that Scorpio Sky is, is a guy who's been undervalued by AEW. That's Dan Lambert's argument. He's undefeated for over a year. He hasn't been pinned in a singles match. And it felt like they were setting up that he's the guy who's going to challenge for the title. And then Lambert doesn't bring any of this up. He's like, you're a deserving champion. I like you. I don't like that you're a cowboy. And then the guy to come out and challenge Hangman was Lance Archer. Like, if I'm Scorpio Sky, it's kind of like, this was your moment. To I get your, it's a transition match. Like, you're just going to go get beat. But that should have been a Scorpio Sky moment, not a Lance Archer moment. And that felt really jarring and weird. Well, I will, I, I will, uh, that's all you had to say for the first hour, right? That was the first hour, yeah. Okay, so I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll counterpoint um, on one thing. Uh, well, first off, with the, with the Archer uh, Hangman stuff, yeah, it just yeah, like I said, it felt like a a, a big uh, downstep from from where he was. And look, man, you do a show every week; that's going to happen sometimes. Um, but you know, Hangman did say, "Hey, if Scorpio or Page want to come out, they can." So sure, they, he he did acknowledge that, but you know. Fucking Lambert cares about geography and he got pissed. <laughs> and then, uh, but the one big counterpoint I will say is I thought that the punk MJF uh, Warlow uh, match segment, uh, whatever you want to call it, was fantastic. I, I thought it was perfectly booked. I really respect the fuck out of punk for, look, like we know some of those. Some of those power bombs look pretty comfortable, but that's okay. That's going to happen. I mean, the guy's fucking older, and he took nine of them. Um, some, you know, some look like they hurt. Some look like they were very carefully. <laughs> oh, Wardlow knew knew who he was holding, and I, I thought it was. I, I don't get me wrong. I did think it was good, and I liked the homage at the end. It was just, and I mentioned this before for Wardlow's power bomb. When he hits you, you should be dead. And if you get hit with four or five power bombs. You shouldn't even have the energy to, to roll up and do a small package within the world of kayfabe. Like that to me was the only thing that was kind of, I, I don't know. I, I like a finishing yeah, but, move to kill somebody. But here's the thing. Warlow hasn't been in the WWE and does not know how to counter a roll up. That is true. <laughs> so I, I, it's I also, not something I he would ever think he'd like, have to train for, you know, he's just smashing people. And Punk, I, like, I think they did time it well, like Aubrey, like, you know, the 10 count outside of the ring, like, you know, MJF stalled it like that. That was the story. It wasn't like, oh, Punk out of nowhere. No, you know, Punk was avoiding all these pins. It's like, no. MJF was fucking up the pins. He was rolling out. You know, there was a yeah. there was a story going on. Oh, and on. by the way, I it was uh, awesome. uh, all due respect to, to Jim Ross, I'm, I'm glad that you're battling skin. You overcome skin cancer, and we love you for that. But fuck you for burying Aubrey's count the way you were. It's like I guess she she was really being very generous about that count. Like, come on, dude. Like, you know the story. Stop burying referees 
especially Aubrey, since she's the best referee in AEW. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it, it worked. It's also, it's like the roll up is the thing that Austin was still able to do when his neck was broken. <laughs> like, yes. so that, that part of it sense of like, yeah, he is so hurt, but in the, and the story, yeah, I, I feel like the fact that it isn't just punk and NJF and that they have incorporated Wardlow into it and that, you know, and like, because here's, here's what's amazing about this feud. And it really is to me the best feud in wrestling in a long time. But like when, if, if punk beats MJF, like, yeah, that's going to get a big pop. But the fucking second Wardlow does the fucking power bombs on MJF, like it's just it, and, and the fact that like I'm okay with it all being intertwined because Punk really was I feel like transferring some of his star power to Wardlow, and that to me the the segment felt like forward thinking for the company. Oh, I agree. And I think my point was the audience is going to be more invested in Wardlow turning on an MJF than they are the punk MJF feud or punk beating MJF. I think you're going to get more of an audience response from that Wardlow babyface turn. Than I think that, but isn't that great? And it, it, I'm, not, it's not, I'm not saying it is a bad yeah. thing at all. I, you know, I get anytime I talk about AEW, it's always perceived as negative. I like that yeah. that's where it's going to and you're leveraging this okay. to get to that. It's just kind of it's it's a little bit of a letdown in just in the sense of there was all this steam to the punk MJF feud. And I feel like that's been lessened a little and has been replaced by the Wardlow stuff. And Wardlow is their future um, unless he you know, does the right thing and signs with WWE. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there's still plenty of steam. Scott, what did you think of this hour? I genuinely have no complaints about this hour. Yes, Dante Martin and Hobbs didn't have to go after a very similar visual match and, and kind of outcome, yeah. But I thought it was a fun hour. I don't mind Lance Archer coming back and challenging for the title, or at least, you know, I, I don't really know how that's going to work in terms of ranking, but I guess the rankings, they restart now, right? So he could just win like two dark matches and be number one contender since it's a new year. That's the uh, weird thing is that the rankings reset and yet they've established who the number one contender for the, the world title is. Cole was number one and the acclaimed are number one and neither of them were talking about the title. Hmm. And I think sometimes you need to make that the focus of, of everything. Like Cole sitting here talking about wanting to, to beat up Orange Cassidy and, and dealing with all the stuff. With this. He should have opened the show talking about I'm the number one contender. I'm coming for you, you know, hangman. It's within the confines of your, your kayfabe world. Everybody cares about being champion. And that's the only thing that matters. And that's why they show up. All the other personal issues still count. But at the end of the day, you all want to be champion. And when you have rankings, it's so easy to just use them to, to tell stories. Yeah. Also, uh, Archer's finisher to hang men on the chair was that looked amazing. That was wild looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. CM Punk, MJF. It, I feel like every week they're putting on classic to borderline classic shit. Like I, I loved this. And even if this isn't a big part of the feud, it is going to be something you look back on in terms of Wardlow. Like it's going to be in all his video packages yeah. forever. Now uh, it just, yeah. Them creating cool moments every week, no matter what. And I think this hour did that 
with the Britt Baker, Adam Cole kiss, and with the CM Punk Wardlow segment. Nope. AEW Dynamite was a good show, and we don't need to talk about hour two, right? Well, then, yeah, you know, it happens. <laughs> Actually, I kind of but... want to see what Scott says about hour okay, two. Okay, so then we, we have, um, I, I don't remember when this happened in the, in the show, but uh, Brock Anderson. That was right, and, that was the next thing. And, and Lee Johnson uh, with, with, with Arn. Um, they're going to wrestle uh, next week in a tag against FTR. I, that was the thing, man. This the, the, the theme of this show was how far have some of these people sunk? That <laughs> these are the feuds they're in now, um, and and because like FTR is great, and it's like I mean, I I think I I I, I said to, to to Scott uh, and Dan last night, I was like, man, I love the way that uh, in order to show that Tony Khan isn't racist, he's teaming Lee Johnson with a guy who looks like he fought in the Confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we had Hikaru Shida, uh, and Serena Deeb, and Deeb just destroyed, um, Shida, you know, um, fucking wiping her knee out, and, uh, you know, two, two minute woman's match, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was good that Britt was in another segment, um, uh, then we have, um, Penta versus Matt Hardy in a, um, in a in a slogan off, which is the best part of this, <laughs> that was generally fun, you know. And it, it's also it's like this was in Raleigh, this was in North Carolina, where uh, Hardy would be the most over. So his deletes did get about the same reaction as Penta. I'm, but Penta I'm glad won. you said that because that's important. Because usually I don't like Matt Hardy on television, but I think this made sense because it is where he's from, and also despite. Uh, being it, you know, his hometown, he still lost, which I loved because Matt Hardy needs to lose all the time. Yeah, because they don't really, yeah, and they don't really do that in people's hometowns. And oh, I, Scott, I, if you I like watching so guys lose in their hometown, do I have a show for you? It airs Monday nights at eight o'clock, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not cooked, Scott, it's raw. <laughs> um, and then, and then, uh, again, so you know. The lights keep going out um, because someone forgot to pay the, the power bill, I guess. And Malachi Black comes out and, you know, Malachi Black, oh no, he's he's going to be alone against the Varsity Blondes. How is he going to get out of this conundrum? Who can save him? Brody King uh, debuts to thankfully save him from the death-causing beating he would have gotten from. Griff Garrison <laughs> and Brian Pillman Jr. Um, so Brody King's there. I, I saw some mumblings about why why should he keep that name? Should he keep that name? Apparently he he named himself Brody King as a tribute to Brody Lee. I'm fine with it. You know, it, wait, it's but like, how? He's been Brody King forever. Yeah, but he did specifically say like. Look, this was an homage to this guy. And it's also there's obviously another very famous protein wrestling from the eighties. It was just the thing I wanted to say. Yes, like, but more importantly, just because you talk about Brody Brody Lee. Brody Lee is named after Brody from All Rats. And that's what's most more much more important. Yeah, yo, oh, yeah, nice. yeah, I know that. Because he's, he's a huge he's, yes, he's he's a huge he was a huge Mall Rats mark. That's awesome. Um they they are spelled differently and it also but he did say it was a tribute, so you know, I'm fucking fine. Calm with down, it. Jericho, with the fucking spellings. 
um, and then uh, we have the acclaimed versus if me and Dan were a tag team bear country. And, uh, you know, there's some fun raps here and the acclaimed win. Um, it's interesting to like, yeah, this was, this is not a night, a good night to be a big guy. Cause all the big guys got pinned. <laughs> um, and then we, we end the show with a main event anywhere in the country at 9:45 on TBS, Sammy Guevara versus Daniel Garcia in an interim TNT championship match on TBS. <laughs> I, you know, we did not uh, review um, Battle of the Belts on our main show. I understand the Cody being sick thing. The interim championship thing makes no sense to me other than I guess if they had to have a belt, but it's like he's literally coming back next week. It, it seems very silly to me. This was a, a well-worked match with, you know, uh, one of the big stories being um, Jericho and, uh, you know, Kingston making sure that 2.0 didn't do anything. And then Jericho beat both of them with a bat, which is which Kingston was angry about, which is very Eddie Kingston. If there's one thing you could say about Eddie Kingston, that guy knows his character. <laughs> <laughs> why did you get to hit both of them um and, and in another redundancy thing yeah uh our last two segments because we had sting uh you know going crazy with the bat yeah our last two segments had guys over 50 that definitely voted for trump um attacking people with baseball bats uh <laughs> scott what was your thought on this hour oh oh and Pac Pac returned even though he'll probably just leave again so that was well. That was my favorite uh, part, the the Pac thing. I I love the he, he you know completely blindfolded. Uh, I don't think he's gonna come back as a blind person, but that would be awesome if he was kind of like he's so good at wrestling that the only way he's evenly matched is if he's blind from out of both eyes. But he still you know he just wrestles like Daredevil. I think that would be. Or bad. he just watched Bird Box on Netflix like a year later. <laughs> or, or if he wrestles like Jake and Martell. <laughs> <laughs> and like the audience has to tell him where to go. <laughs> but people shit on that match. I fucking love that match. It's a great That's match. Great. Yeah, it's oh, great. I've never seen it. But yeah, uh, no, man, this this hour didn't do much for me. Uh I get the Matt Hardy match and Penta uh, you know, them fighting. I didn't mind it. I thought it was Hardy's best match, maybe in AEW history, which is not a huge compliment, but he didn't, you know, he didn't get concussed or anything. Um <laughs> By the way, that is a that, that, is, that is a five star Matt Hardy match. <laughs> <laughs> the star circling his head. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Jeff's in a it's just Jeff Hardy in a bird costume spinning around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a bird. I, I you know I, I'm glad Brody debuted, but I, I think this crowd kind of sucked. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They weren't that great. It just felt like a rampage, really. But part of it has to do with Jericho. When Jericho is standing there now, there's something that feels like Rampage. I don't know if it's because he was announcing on Rampage for a minute or because he's appeared on Rampage and like some major marquee matches. But something about Jericho segments are like downgrades now. And, uh, and you know, obviously they get in the ring at the end and they're staring at each other and everybody's cheering for Kingston. So it's just like turn Jericho heel. Um, because I think more than Cody, you need to turn Jericho heel. Because at least Cody's thing is like nuanced and interesting. 
Jericho is just bad as a face. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's like it felt like, you know, before he was this big star and he was transferring some of his his power to the other guys of the inner circle, man. I tell you, last night I was like, oh yeah, Hager is still there. Like it, it just feels like so disparate. Well, um, well, which I do like, I do like that that's kind of Kingston's point with Proud and Powerful, where it's like dude, you have these guys get all tied up in your drama all the time when they could have been tag team champions. Like, that's cool. I like that part of it. I like that. But dude, I'll even tell you, you know, so last week when I went to Dynamite, when I, when they said Jericho's segment was next, I got up, I got an ice cream cone. I walked around. I didn't watch the Judas entrance. And I did that at, um, in Queens too. Uh, when the Jericho thing started, I walked out, I walked around and stuff. It's like, just something's happening where it's it's super uninteresting and and she was, get an ice cream. was awesome that first year and also yeah man i, I needed a nine dollar ice cream cone well it's also you needed to get it before jericho did <laughs> <laughs> robert what, what, what did you uh think of this this this, this show felt like uh like half the roster had COVID and they weren't able to be there this felt like a lot of like I, the lineup for rampage this week is really soft I mean, they were hyping Rampage, and I was like, that's that's not good. Then that's an e- that's velocity at this point with the, some of the match they're putting there. I loved the uh, the the Arn Tully segment, if only because Dax Harwood, right to Brock's face, said, How does it feel that Arn said he wishes I was his son? Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I like that dude is the fucking best. Uh, I love the Serena Deeb Sheeta match because it was so short and I didn't have to watch it. I don't care about this feud and it's dumb. And and I get that you're. It is they're, not they're, dumb. It's good. Try, I get that they're trying. I don't like Serena Deeb's character. Like this, she's not what? someone you need to really invest in. She's as knocking far as it TV. out of the park. I'm sure she she's doing a great job with what it is. It doesn't hold much interest to me. Uh, wow. Lucha Express and Christian and the Dark Order had a segment that was. Uh, I like that Christian did a cameo for me. That was really cool. I'm being positive. Um, yeah, the Penta Matt Hardy thing was was weird I, I get you're trying to fill in the storyline since phoenix is out with the the injury and he'll be back sooner rather than later uh i i'm i'm impressed that black didn't get a hernia from laughing trying to sell for the varsity blondes um but yeah it's it's great to see brody there but there was that weird thing again where excalibur yells it's brody king and then jim ross acts like he doesn't know who it is he's like this this big man like he just told you who he is so you need that, like, JR needs to listen to what the other commentators are saying. Because it's Okay, knows okay, okay. All right. If you're Jim Ross, are you listening to the nerd in a mask? That's a good point. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> fair. Uh, Acclaim versus Bear Country, it was, uh, that, that felt like AEW dark. I liked the rap. The rap was fine. It's weird that the Acclaimed are feuding with Sting and Darby just because, again, they make a point of saying the Acclaimed are the number one contenders. They should have been pointing out, hey, we should be getting a title shot. This, this is our opportunity. We should be the, the next in line. Why are they picking a fight with Sting and Darby? You pick a fight with somebody to elevate yourself. If you're the number one contenders, all you're focused on is the title, not beating up an old man and his son. Um, it looks like they're going to give Andrade the Hardy family office. So those promos are going to be uh, fucking brutal. And I watched my third Daniel Garcia segment uh, in a week, thanks to Rampage and Battle of the Belts and now this as the main event. 
this did not feel like a main event other than the fact that the more important people were around the ring. I absolutely think Jericho is going to turn heel and I think he's going to wind up aligning himself with Daniel Garcia in 2.0 because that's kind of where it feels like this is going as proud and powerful with Eddie Kingston makes way more sense and is way more interesting. Sammy doesn't need a faction. He's fine on his own. Um, and uh, Jake Hager is still there, which is amazing. Um, I don't know that they're ever really going to do anything with Hager other than just having the big dude around, which is fine. You can plug him into a, a number of different holes there, but this second hour felt like you, I never thought I said this, you really missed Cody. At least Cody good or really, really terrible. There's something interesting to it. Same way we used to like watching QT Marshall. It's like, there's no Brian Danielson that was on this show. You had the undisputed era and the, and the bucks and all that. None of them wrestled. So you had no matches with those guys it, it felt like this was very much a you know, hangman didn't wrestle. It was, it was, it felt like a, a true filler show, which I get, you need to have those to get to something else. But if it's a filler show, we're going to be honest and say, this felt like a, when Daniel Garcia is your main event in a non-ironic way, this is a filler show. Yeah. I mean, I, the guy is technically proficient and, and, and physically impressive. I don't know why he's in, any type of entertainment because there's nothing entertaining about him. Like he just doesn't, he just doesn't look like he even wants to make people happy or angry. He's just he's a, there to wrestle. Fighter. What's That's that? Some fighters are, I think it comes off just legit. I like it. Yes. Yeah. He yeah but the problem he's is so he comes good. across Scott, like Steve Blackman. And I think that's what doesn't work for me Steve a little Blackman bit. Ruled, Steve Blackman, yeah, but Steve Blackman didn't have the problem with Steve Blackman was he didn't have a character. He went out there and wrestled, which is fine, but you need a little something to it. And that's why 2.0 with him makes sense because they do the heavy lifting. But when I saw that it was Garcia and Sammy, I'm like, all right, this is fine for a rampage, but Dynamite has established itself to, to a higher standard, and that's a compliment to AEW that they always make sure that they deliver some major main event. And you really didn't get that this week. And that was kind of a, a, a letdown. And uh, Sammy's TNT run and his interim TNT run have kind of been marred by that. I guess the idea is we're going to get a ladder match with two titles, but I don't know. But at least if you had Steve Blackman, then Tony Khan could tweet that a black man main evented. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, and I'll, I'll say about the, the Sheeta Deeb thing. My, my thing is it, it just, it feels like less of a feud and more like they just haven't thought of anything else for them to do. Um, you know, and it's like, this was the fourth match that they've had. And you look at some of the feuds on on uh, I, I don't has anyone else had that many rematches on <laughs> on on uh, an AEW? I don't know. I mean, what I, I, what I compared this to with a friend of mine, I said this felt like when I would play the old SmackDown video game on PlayStation, and it was like storyline mode, and they just plug in two people. There's nothing that feels organic about these two. It's just well, let's just put this person and this person, and then just do the same storyline as if we're filling in Mad Libs. I, I disagree. I think the, the issue is the story has been told within the matches and, uh, and you guys stop paying attention when they come on television. I yes! Think, <laughs> there's, okay, all right. There's, there's some fairness to that, but I also feel like 
if this is leading to because that was that was something confusing about this too right the the use of brit in this she didn't have the title she didn't have um uh jamie hater or rebel it's like it, it felt like well now i'm in this other division they are two separate things and and that was that was kind of like kind of weird to me if this if this ends up being setting up deep to then challenge brit then it's all worth it but it doesn't feel like it is but she can't because it's it they're both heels that's yeah. that's the problem with jade being the tbs champion is you have two women's titles that are both held by heels and there's you need a baby face somewhere in there to do something and i get it if, if you're building up deep to go after the tbs title cool uh but this just felt like all right we're just going to kind of keep doing this in wwe style in perpetuity Though if it's WWE, this would end with them as a tag team. I, I do like the idea of having a women's division where they're all heels. None of them have any redeeming qualities. Again, Scott, that, that was, there's a TV show called Monday Night Raw. That's pretty much the entire women's division. But there's that was no also redeeming. the name of their women's um, fan group, AEW Heels. Oh, gosh, you're right. Yes. Yeah, where you we had to you, like Brandy. pay money to be a fan or something. It was weird. Um, all right, we're moving. We're moving on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna uh, do the Twitter question of the week next because we were talking about him just now. Um, we found out this week. I, I wrote this Twitter question on Monday, and then the next day, uh, I, my, the Twitter question is: uh, Give us a reason as to why you'd get thrown off the Jericho cruise. Now, what I didn't realize, the Jericho Cruise actually ended up getting canceled uh, the next day, probably through no choice of Jericho's at all. But we got some funny answers. I'm going to read them anyways, because um, fuck it. Uh, this is what Jericho would do. Defy all logic and just keep going. All right. Reasons why you'd get thrown off the Jericho Cruise, which will return in 2023. Um, okay, at Dave Caffarel. For counting the amount of times Jericho should still be wearing a shirt, even on a cruise. At Promographic Ken, I didn't laugh at Jericho's head of the buffet table joke. At Andy's Jack 23, I'd get thrown out for saying that I like Insurrection 2000 better than Insurrection 2021. <laughs> At C. Durant Durant, I'd get thrown off for insisting that steel beams do melt at that temperature. <laughs> at Mizuho AMVS, uh, I made a drunken pass at Riho while she was performing anime karaoke with Kenny Omega. At UCD Jedi, I'll remind Jericho that Howard Stern's band, The Losers, squashed Fozzie in a battle of the bands. He'd probably appreciate that someone remembered that. <laughs> At Caffeine Disaster, I'm become, I'm become, I'm becoming seasick and vomiting while Jericho is singing. Don't think you need seasickness for that. Um, at Tom Thompson 80, gleefully boasting that I have more COVID vaccine in my body than Benoit had testosterone in his. Uh, at Curdy, Introduce myself as the man of a thousand and five holds. <laughs> At Boots Van Badger, chasing down every wrestler with a tape measure and logging their heights according to how many Marcos tall they are. 
<laughs> at Lenton Lee's, I would fight back against negative one. Now, my favorite thing there is implying that negative one started a fight. <laughs> He's fighting back. And finally, at the Ryan Flaherty, I broke the walls down of the Lego Horde wall. Oh, sorry. I broke the walls down of the Lego Hogwarts castle Ethan Page was constructing, <laughs> causing Dan Lambert to criticize my decision to get drunk and rowdy and not partake in the activities of real men. Grades fan <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Now, number seven, uh, showing how we have two segments left before high spot, low spot. Showing how I picked the segment this week. Um, when you are listening to this, January, uh, when it uh, released, it's January 14th, is my birthday. I am 39 years old. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pick Ooh. the thing that makes me the happiest, that I fucking love more than anything. And that is Freebird Road by Michael P.S. Hayes. This is on YouTube. You can find it anywhere. I've shown it to many people. Uh, Andrew Goldstein, who is a friend of the show former WWE writer uh, when we were working on a, a roast of Iron Sheik he was like have you not seen this and showed it to me uh, I know so many people that haven't seen this um, it is fucking incredible um, Robert were you around when this is being made no and I really wish I was <laughs> um, th this was I think 2011 I want to say this was if you haven't seen it pause the show right now go watch the youtube video it is some inexplicably five minutes and if you've never seen michael p.s hayes dancing in a graveyard before and then pouring jack daniels on his friend's tombstone uh or celebrating their love of the confederate flag or stock footage of ray gordy's minimal wwe run or the fact that my, my favorite is there's there's a whole part where he's singing in a studio and that's audio one at WWE headquarters. I spent so many hours in that studio and I've oh, seen dude. bad things happen. Nothing's as horrifying as what that segment must have been. Um, this is I told the story before my desk was next to next to PS's and he had on his desk a picture frame that you get for like your dead grandma. And it was a collage of pictures of Terry Gordy. And it was like the creepiest thing. It's like you're an, you're like an angel in heaven kind of thing. Like you get like for, for Nana and it's Terry. And I get loving your friend, but it was too. Like there, there wasn't a single picture of his family. There was just the picture of Terry Gordy. Um, this song goes on and on. And I felt bad. There are, there are professional musicians and studio singers backing this. And this is the most bizarre thing. Like, like Terry Gordy took the easy way out, not having to hear this. <laughs> that, that's yeah. what's so funny about it is there, there are pro professional musicians, and, and you do get moments of like real, genuine um, instrumentation, if you will. <laughs> but then it just sounds like a Muppet. It's like, you know, like when like the Muppets would cover a song, you know, <laughs> and like Animal would fucking ruin it. That's what Michael PSA does to, to this. It's just when, it's when Muppet, they do Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Mama mia, mama mia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She drives me crazy. Oh, oh. I also love that this is a professionally shot music video, and Michael Hayes in the graveyard is wearing a jacket that doesn't fit him. The sleeves are so long they're covering up his hands. Like he was shrinking during the filming of this. 
Um, it is. It's was so. Was this for a DVD? Was this like? No, this was a... just. This is for us. This is but for the universe. WWE cameras, though. He clearly either borrowed them or it was on. Their oh yeah, doll. no, he definitely guilted people to to make this. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so basically, what this what this this is is Freebird Road. It is a tribute to Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Um, and it's basically it's like a 9-11 song, but about a wrestler instead of 9-11. It's like all of those like Alan Jackson type, and it's and he's trying to he's trying to go for Leonard Skinner, <laughs> which he he can't because he's not the he he sounds like a plane crash. He does not sound like Leonard Skinner. <laughs> and it, it's it's like it's this tribute song and and he'll sometimes talk. It's just it's just imagine if someone going, I'll miss you, Terry, <laughs> was a six minute song. And then, yeah, like uh, like uh, uh, Robert was saying with uh, was it Ray Gordy, his son. Yeah, at the end, he's like, yeah, you got a son and he's doing all right. <laughs> and they showed Jesse infested. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this, I mean, this thing, it's like. Oh, and then I, I mean, saw your daughters last week. <laughs> that was my other favorite part. Yeah. And, and what, what's amazing is that, like, you know, this is the kind of thing that you you watch and you're like, all right, this must have been made because he was owed a favor. But when you know about like Michael P.S. Hayes and his and his very uh, Dick Murdochian history, let's just say, <laughs> in, in, in the company, it's like, how does how does anyone owe him a favor? If anything, he owes them favors. Like, I just I just feel like. You know what? You know what? I think that this is my theory on this. Someone was having a wedding that weekend, and they wanted to make sure he wasn't there to fucking ruin it with like three encores of Margaritaville while he's living in Margaritaville. And they're like, yeah, just let him make the fucking Terry Gordy video. <laughs> this is Tiger King before Tiger King, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's totally yeah. It's Joe, not as exotic as he thinks he is like in his outfits you know he's got like the the, the blue and the the orange it's like because you know like macho man had a guy uh michael I, I forgot his last name but he made um macho man's outfits and he made Jimi hendrix's outfits and he also made a lot of outfits for tampa bay pimps um this is like 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 everything Michael Hayes wears looks like he asked that guy to make him clothes, and that guy was like, "Nah, I'm too busy." And he's like, "Well, fuck you! I'm gonna do it myself." <laughs> well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, this thing. I mean, this is uh, th- this thing gives me so much joy, and it makes me so happy. Um, so happy birthday to myself. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys Freebird Road. <laughs> Scott, did you enjoy this thing as much as Mike did? to a degree you know i've uh i I know quite a few people who when someone's passed away they've just made a music video even though they have no business doing so (laughs) so this isn't uncommon to me you know you are from Uh, new jersey (laughs) yeah yeah so you know i i definitely i think i felt bad often throughout this uh, but it was when, when they would show the footage the montage footage and then it would cut to him and you'd go oh what a psychopath yeah. Just, yeah, just a complete basket case. But yeah, super funny to watch, man. And, and, and to Robert's point, um, yeah, it's like, because it's all about, you know, Terry and how good of a friend he was, but all the footage they have of him is wrestling. So yeah, like he come, they all come out with like 
their faces painted like rebel flags and you know he's talking about like you're a good man and you know an honest person and then it's just like showing him like clotheslining like jobbers <laughs> yes it's him taking liberties uh yeah. which is a bit, a, a, there was no footage of him as the executioner which is kind of disappointing um this was yeah i mean we watched uh big show boss man and this is the worst thing i've seen in a graveyard so <laughs> Yeah, man. This this feels like something that we should not have uh, seen. Like, this feels like it should be in a vault. Like, <laughs> yes, this was part of his grieving process. I, I I feel like you go on that boat where the Ark of the Covenant is, and next to it is a box with Freebird Road. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, finally uh, for the week, high spot, low spot. Um, Robert, what was your high spot of the week? I had two. Uh, one is I saw that Impact Wrestling signed PCO, former guest on this show, and I think that's awesome. I love the the PCO renaissance that that's kind of been going on the last few years, and I'm glad he found that. The other, this is uh, I never thought I'd say this. Joey Janela is my high spot of the week. Uh. Matt Cardona got married to Chelsea Green. Congratulations, Mazel Tov, all that. Janela recreated with Chelsea the uh, Ric Flair Miss Elizabeth pictures <laughs> yeah. when uh, when Flair claimed that Liz was uh, cheating on Savage. And it is it, just such a great deep cut and a random throwback thing. And for that reason alone, that was definitely my, my high spot. And as I texted uh, the guys, my low spot to that was as a kid thinking how weird it was because they were like, oh, you know, Flair doctored these pictures. I was like, how did he have access to this technology? As opposed to just realizing wrestling is fake and they just took these pictures. But as a little kid, I was like, this is amazing for 1991. Like, this is incredible. But uh, yeah, kudos to you, uh, Joey Janela. That was, that was hilarious. Uh, Scott, what was your high spot of the week, buddy? My high spot is just something that it's my high spot because it con confirms something I've, I've been saying for a while. And it's, it confirms how silly WWE has become, where I think we actually need to start grading it differently. I don't think we can watch it like it's a serious wrestling. I mean, what is a serious wrestling show? But yeah, we can't seriously. grade it on the level of other things because I didn't know that the WrestleMania tagline is the most stupendous two-night WrestleMania in history. And they say it out loud, and they flash it on the screen a lot. They say, the most stupendous. Yeah, not Is that, not is that what CM, when CM Punk made that joke? Was that in reference to that, or did they just start that this week? Uh, no, they started it a couple weeks ago. My they, goodness, this, this Robert. Is this, but this reminds me of when I was there, and they're like, the WrestleMania theme is big time because Vince likes the Peter Gabriel song. So the official theme song for Mania is big time. I remember that. I hated that. I, like, I, don't, I don't like that Peter Gabriel. Oh, no, no. You hated it. If you put somebody on hold when I was there, it played big time. <laughs> oh. So we would just put people on hold and make them have to listen to just the chorus of big time over. Like, that's how out of date he is with, with reality. And he thinks this is the word that the kids are saying these days. Uh, I, I heard that down at the Nickelodeon. Dude, remember remember when he finally heard Jerry Lee Lewis a few years ago and named a pay-per-view after? <laughs> Great they brought Jerry Lee Lewis to a Raw once. <laughs> 
just a well, that was just Lawler saying, "I'm a fan of your other work." <laughs> it, it sounds like the like the name of a set one of their Saudi shows, like you know WWE, the most stupendous show, two hour, but dude, to every be the tagline of WrestleMania, it's just nuts. Dude, every time they say Stu, you're surprised they're saying Pendus. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's also, yeah, I love that, like. Like Vince just got on a Peter Gabriel kick in like 2005. I got it. I guys, guys, WrestleMania, your eyes. <laughs> oh my god, he's um, the best. Okay. Uh, did you did you say your high spot? Oh yeah, that was that was your high spot. Scott, yeah, that was my high spot, man. Because I'm gonna start looking at it differently. I I think there is is fun in it, and I think yeah. it's a very silly place that's it's Disneyfied, you know. So. Yeah, okay. well, when that's your high spot, we really know what you thought of this week's dynamite. It's great. Um, <laughs> my, my high spot is, um, you know, Mickey James being in the Royal Rumble. I think that's interesting. That's cool. I, I, I don't want to use the phrase forbidden door, um, as if like TNA, like as if impact is special. It's, it's not a forbidden door as much as a door we usually walk past because we don't <laughs> want to talk about it. But the fact that, um, look, she's like the, the Impact champion and she's going back to the Rumble. Um, hopefully they acknowledged not being... it, which is so strange. They never do that. Yeah. And they said just... knockout champion Mickey James. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And it's also... You know, after the way that they 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 treated her, i.e., a lot of people, but you know, that you know, and, and good for her for fucking speaking out about about it openly and 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 still, um, you know, coming back and getting that paycheck, uh, you know, is it, 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 I think is awesome and it, and it adds some intrigue to uh, the show. There better be a pre-tape with Charlotte showing up holding a garbage bag telling mickey just let's save you the trouble just put your stuff in here and leave rather than rather than enter the rumble vince might think calling someone impact knockouts champion is is more insulting than sending their stuff back in a garbage bag it's like, cute he might think, he think he's owning her is. on this yeah oh man um no that is very cool though yeah just mickey wrestling anywhere is cool. yes and, i know she's not and if charlotte it, and if Charlotte is holding a, a bag of women's clothes, you know that that bag has been sniffed by her dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, Scott, what was your what was your low spot? Man, my low spot, I found out, and I think it actually just broke while we were uh, oh, on this. No, 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 no one oh. was fired. Uh, but uh, Sonny, Sammy Sitch, is that how you say her name? Tammy yeah, Sitch. Tammy Sitch. Yeah. Tammy Sitch. Yeah, I said Sammy. <laughs> what the hell did I say? Anyway, uh, she was arrested for weapons possession and terroristic threats in New Jersey. TMZ is reporting this. That's a high bar for Jersey. Yeah, man. Dude, what's crazy is she was uh, taken into custody in Monmouth County Jail at 11 a.m. And I think I drove past that jail today at like 1030 a.m. So, <laughs> By the way, terroristic threats in Jersey is just giving the name of your Muslim friend. Yeah, it's giving directions. <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, what, what, what do we know what happened here? No, we don't know what happened, but it is like her, it's the sixth time she was arrested. It, it, it for... feels like an evergreen low spot, Tammy Sitch being arrested. Yeah, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, like Jake, you know, Jake is kind of like, you know, a, an easy punching bag in some ways, but he's had enough of a storied career and there are like enough, like, 
different things like because i think sometimes of, of some of the people we haven't roasted and you know and 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 sunny it just yeah man it just feels it just feels sad like it it feels like punching down if we were to roast her like because it's just it, she's at that genetti level of like oh it, it just it just keeps happening oh no here we go <laughs> yeah yeah su- super uh super unfortunate so that's uh, my low spot Robert, uh, your other WWE segment of the week. What is your low spot? Hey, speaking of WWE, um, I had two. One was definitely the Hogan stuff. Um, he continues to make sure that any shred of memory I have as a kid of being a Hulkamaniac is burned <coughs> to the ground. Uh, the other was on Raw. Big E had an impromptu match with Seth Rollins. He called out Rollins and then lost clean. Uh, his his title run ended so unspectacularly. They didn't give him a fair shake. And then you put him out there on Raw to feel like you're getting some momentum back with him. And they pin him clean. And I get that it's him and Rollins, but this was not an announced match. This was thrown together against the BCS National Championship game. And this just, it, it just continues to suck. I, I hope they're going somewhere with this story. Uh, but anytime I say that, that usually ends with that person just getting released. So I, I hope that they they fix this with Big E, but I don't know, guys. Yeah, uh, mine is the the Hogan thing is, yeah, it's just the uh, it turns out he doesn't know best or anything at all. Um, yeah, fucking yeah, he sucks. But uh, mine is uh, that I saw um, Adam Hangman Page wrestled with five and ten against matt hardy and private party in a 14 minute long match on dark um and (laughs) that is sad to me he uh is your world champion um he should not be on dark no but that's not what happened that's not the context it's a very nice thing that was the crowd for uh, Battle of the Belts, and they wanted every champion to be on the card. Either way. Hey, man, sometimes Austin was on heat, all right? Yes, yeah, yes ever- he was on MTV, and MTV was a big deal back then. But yeah. listen, Mike. Yeah, Austin Austin was on heat to set up for the pay-per-view match he was going to have. Yeah, when, when the MTV Music Awards was national news. Dude, was... Okay, but here's the thing. Was Austin ever in 14-minute long matches? Like, Well, no, but he just can't keep up with a man like the Hangman. You know, there's a different standard nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but but also Hangman can't just take out Private Party and Matt Hardy in that time. He's got, he's got to, you know, help his buddies learn how to, how to be as good as him, dude. He's got to teach them how to be cowboys. Okay, the, con- the context, I will say, helps it. A little bit, but it's still, it just feels like a devaluing week between that and Archer and Lambert. Like, you know, I get, I get why Danielson wasn't on TV this week and the whole idea of like, he was just beaten. He had this bloody match, but now that he's gone and you're moving forward with uh, Paige, this just does not seem like a good direction for him. He, immediately feels like a mid-carter between this and the uh, dynamite segment no way jose uh yeah he's almost at that level no way jose (laughs) no way jose (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
All right. And uh, we we all got it in, right? Everybody said their low spot. Yep. Wow, we did a show, guys. We did a show. We did it. We yeah, did it. This weekend, we will be uh, roasting Tito Ortiz and reviewing the first ever episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, where I am going to be a Rob Bartlett sympathist. <laughs> <laughs> Just as as someone who has been booked for things they shouldn't have been booked for, uh, it is is really fascinating because um, I just watched this again and yeah, I have a lot to say about him and his view uh, through wrestling history um, and and just the show itself. Uh, have have you guys watched this yet? Or are you gonna watch this be- uh, before we review it? I guess I have not watched it yet genuinely excited to watch it though yeah man it is a fucking uh blast from the past R- robert did you remember this when it first oh aired? yeah i remember i remember watching it when it first aired um i've i've watched it once or twice since then once when i was at wwe we were doing something and then once when they did the the anniversary because they did the the show from the manhattan center when it was that weird raw where it was split and i'm like they were they were airing the first raw and i'm like i gotta i gotta just go back and watch this and uh it is a fantastic time capsule and i'm glad yeah. that we uh, get to cover that yeah and if you know you know i know this is one of our first shows with, without a weekly roast and if you're wondering why we don't do that it's so that uh this is the only time we talk about damien demento and not have to give him his own episode <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, and Tito Ortiz, and then next week we're fucking roasting Jake, and that's going to be really exciting. And we have uh, a guest next week, but we're not announcing that in case they, you know, we announce their name yeah. and then an anvil falls on their head or something. We will, we will be here, and you know, Dan is uh, recovering, um, as he mentioned last week, and we continue to wish him all the best, and he will be back soon. So, uh, but you know, if you want to leave your thoughts with us. Uh, Tell us how we can uh, improve the show. If you think the show is already perfect, uh, you leave us an iTunes review. And yeah, you can go on Facebook and go on Twitter. Give us your thoughts about the show, man. We're trying to do the best that we can. Uh, Robert, uh, any plugs? Uh, yeah, a couple of plugs. First, uh, friend of the show, David Arquette. He has a movie coming out this week called Scream. I don't know. It's some kind of weird indie film. Probably needs all the support we can give it. Uh, happy 39th birthday to to Mr. Lawrence. I just turned 39 a few weeks ago. And the most jarring thing is that's the age that Billy Crystal turns in City Slickers. Oh, I remember gosh. thinking he was so old. So throw a birthday party and Lisa Simpson's going to show up and talk about how she fucked a wet bandit and is now pregnant. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. I'm, uh, we're still doing something to sports entertainment with. I broke down raw this past Monday. We'll be back, uh, next week with one of those and, uh, pick up one of our shirts at pro wrestling tees. I love pro wrestling tees. I would never say anything bad about them for rejecting one of our shirts. They're a hell of a brand, hell of a company. And oh, yeah, we got to uh, post that. We got to post product. that. Yes. I got to post the, uh, the it's dope, uh, image. Dude, I just realized that 39 was the age Hogan was when he fucking wrestled Sid at Mania 8. Jesus oh, God. Christ. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Um, uh, Scott, any plugs? Uh, Scott underscore Chaplin on Instagram and Twitter. Also at WrestleRose on Twitter. And yeah, ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, Buy some of our merch. Get our Patreon. $5 tier, $10 tier. Come on out. Step right up. Thanks for listening.
And Zach, our faithful producer who has been here this whole time, any words? Watch your hands. <laughs>